page 163. Along the way, he learned that the man he was seeking was the son of God. He met others who had been cured by him, and so they instructed your son in the man's teachings. And so, despite the fact that he was a Roman centurion, he converted to their faith. Slowly thereafter, he reached the place where the man he was looking for was visiting. He told the man that one of his servants was gravely ill, and the rabbi made ready to go to his house with him. But the centurion was a man of faith, and looking into the eyes of the rabbi, he knew that he was surely in the presence of the Son of God. And this is what your son said, the angel told the man. These are the words he said to the rabbi at that point, and they have never been forgotten. My lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. The alchemist said, no matter what he does, every person on earth plays a central role in the history of the world, and normally he doesn't know it. The boy smiled. He had never imagined that questions about life would be of such importance to a shepherd. Goodbye, the alchemist said. Goodbye, said the boy. The boy rode along through the desert for several hours, listening avidly to what his heart had to say. It was his heart that would tell him where his treasure was hidden. Where your treasure is, there also will be your heart, the alchemist had told him. But his heart was speaking of other things. With pride, it told the story of a shepherd who had left his flock to follow a dream he had on two different occasions. It told of personal legend and of the many men who had wandered in search of distant lands or beautiful women or confronting the people of their times with their preconceived notions. It spoke of journeys, discoveries, books, and change. As he was about to climb yet another dune, his heart whispered, be aware of the place where you were brought to tears. That's where I am, and that's where your treasure is. The boy climbed the dunes slowly. A full moon rose again in the starry sky. It had been a month since he had set forth from the oasis. The moonlight cast shadows through the dunes, creating the appearance of a rolling sea. It reminded the boy of the day when that horse had reared in the desert, and he had come to know the alchemist and the moon fell on the desert silence and on a man's journey in search of treasure. When he reached the top of the dune, his heart leapt. There, illuminated by the light of the moon and the brightness of the desert, stood the solemn and majestic pyramids of Egypt. The boy fell to his knees and wept. He thanked God for making him believe in his personal legend and for leading him to meet a king, a merchant, an Englishman, and an alchemist. And above all, for having his having met a woman of the desert who had told him that love would never keep a man from his personal legend. If he wanted to, he could now return to the oasis, go back to Fatima, and live his life as a simple shepherd. After all, the alchemist continued to live in the desert, even though he understood the language of the world and knew how to transform lead into gold. He didn't need to demonstrate his science and art to anyone. The boy told himself that on the way toward realizing his own personal legend, he had learned all he needed to know and had experienced everything he might have dreamed of. But here he was at the point of finding his treasure and he reminded himself that no project is completed until its objective has been achieved. The boy looked at the sands around him and saw that where his tears had fallen, a scarab beetle was scuttling through the sand. During his time in the desert, he had learned that in Egypt, Scarab beetles are a symbol of God. Another omen. The boy began to dig into the dune. 
As he did so, he thought of what the crystal merchant had once said, that anyone could build a pyramid in his backyard. The boy could see now that he couldn't do so if he placed stone upon stone for the rest of his life. Throughout the night, the boy dug at the place he had chosen, but found nothing. He felt weighted down by the centuries of time since the pyramids had been built, but he didn't stop. He struggled to continue digging as he fought the wind, which often blew the sand back into the excavation. His hands were abraded and exhausted, but he listened to his heart. It had told him to dig where his tears fell. As he was attempting to pull out the rocks he encountered, he heard footsteps. Several figures approached him. Their backs were to the moonlight and the boy could see neither their eyes nor their faces. What are you doing here? One of the figures demanded. Because he was terrified, terrified the boy didn't answer. He had found where his treasure was and was frightened at what might happen. We're refugees from the tribal wars and we need money, the other figure said. What are you hiding there? I'm not hiding anything, the boy answered. But one of them seized the boy and yanked him back out of the hole. Another who was searching the boy's bags found the piece of gold. There's gold here, he said. The moon shone on the face of the Arab who had seized him and in the man's eyes, the boy saw death. He's probably got more gold hidden in the ground. They made the boy continue digging, but he found nothing. As the sun rose, the men began to beat the boy. He was bruised and bleeding. His clothing was torn to shreds and he felt that death was near. What good is money to you if you're going to die? It's not often that money can save someone's life, the alchemist had said. Finally, the boy screamed at the men, I'm digging for treasure. And although his mouth was bleeding and swollen, he told his attackers that he had twice dreamed of a treasure hidden near the pyramids of Egypt. The man who appeared to be the leader of the group spoke to one of the others. Leave him. He doesn't have anything else. He must have stolen this gold. The boy fell to the sand, nearly unconscious. The leader shook him and said, we're leaving. Before they left, he came back to the boy and said, you're not going to die. You'll live and you'll learn that a man shouldn't be so stupid. Two years ago, right here on this spot, I had a recurrent dream too. I dreamed that I should travel to the fields of Spain and look for a ruined church where the shepherds and their sheep slept. In my dream, there was a sycamore growing out of the ruins of the sacristy, and I was told that if I dug up the roots of the sycamore, I would find a hidden treasure. But I'm not so stupid as to cross an entire desert just because of a recurrent dream. And they disappeared. The boy stood up shakily and looked once more at the pyramids. They seemed to laugh at him, and he laughed back, his heart bursting with joy because now he knew where his treasure was. Epilogue. The boy reached the small abandoned church just as night was falling. The sycamore was still there in the sacristy and the stars could still be seen through the half destroyed roof. He remembered the time he had been there with his sheep. It had been a peaceful night except for the dream. Now he was here, not with his flock, but with a shovel. He sat looking at the sky for a long time. Then he took from his knapsack a bottle of wine and drank some. He remembered the night in the desert when he had sat with the alchemist, as they looked at the stars and drank wine together. He thought of the many roads he had traveled and of the strange way God had chosen to show him his treasure. If he hadn't believed in the significance of recurrent dreams, he would not have met the gypsy woman, the king, the thief, or, well, it's a long list, but the path was written in the omens, and there's no way I could go wrong, he said to himself. He fell asleep, 
and when he awoke, the sun was already high. He began to dig at the base of the sycamore. You old sorcerer, the boy shouted up to the sky. You knew the whole story. You even left a bit of gold at the monastery so I could, monastery so I could get back to this church. The monk laughed when he saw me come back in tatters. Couldn't you have saved me from that? No, he heard a voice on the wind say. If I had told you, you wouldn't have seen the pyramids. They're beautiful, aren't they? The boy smiled and continued digging. Half an hour later, his shovel hit something solid. An hour later, he had before him a chest of Spanish gold coins. There were also precious stones, gold masks adorned with red and white feathers and stone statues embedded with jewels. The spoils of a conquest that the country had long ago forgotten and that some conquistador had failed to tell his children about. The boy took out Urim and Thummim from his bag. He had used the two stones only once, one morning when he was at a marketplace. His life and path had always provided him with enough omens. He placed Urim and Thummim in the chest. They were also a part of his new treasure because they were a reminder of the old king whom he would never see again. It's true, life really is generous to those who pursue their personal legend, the boy thought. Then he remembered that he had to get to Tarifa so he could give one-tenth of his treasure to the gypsy woman as he had promised. Those gypsies are really smart, he thought. Maybe it was because they moved around so much. The wind began to blow again. It was the Levanter, the wind that came from Africa. It didn't bring with it the smell of the desert, nor the threat of Moorish invasion. Instead, it brought the scent of a perfume he knew well and the touch of a kiss, a kiss that came from far away, slowly, slowly, until it rested on his lips. The boy smiled. It was the first time she had done that. I'm coming, Fatima, he said. The end.